Your response to adversity will reveal the resolve of your strength and the content of the character within you. Take it from Ryan Sheckle. He was on the top of the world 19 years ago as the captain of his varsity baseball team. And then he was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and told he would never be able to have children. He's 35 now, and thanks to in vitro fertilization and a supportive and amazing wife, they have two kids and a wonderful perspective on life. He joined me this week to share his inspirational story of overcoming adversity and climbing through and above obstacles. If you're ready to be inspired, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. If you're ready, I'll welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to uh, learn all about your personal and professional life this afternoon. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. So, Ryan, I know uh, that when you were back in college, you were the captain of your varsity baseball team, and you learned that you were diagnosed with the cystic fibrosis. So I'm wondering if you can recount that experience for me and the impact it had on your life, buddy. Yeah, so that was, that was you know, arguably a turning point in my life. I, uh, I grew up. Again, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I'm a fan of your show and uh, it's a privilege to be on. But, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a small town in Western New York and I lived a really normal life. I had fantastic family. My parents uh, were together and raised me and my younger brother. And, um, you know, it really was truly a fantastic childhood. So much so that you know, one of my goals was, was to really grow up and just have a family of my own um, and kind of give my family the same life that I had. I, I felt like my childhood was that great and, uh, and it, was, it was good, you know? So I went through life kind of playing sports as I grew up, um, played volleyball, basketball, and baseball in high school. Um, and then, you know, felt like a normal kid with the exception of, you know, I grew up really skinny. Um, and my doctors always told me, well, you know, you probably have asthma, uh, and lactose intolerance. So those were really, you know, my big health issues growing up. And when I was a senior in high school, getting ready to go to college, I was, you know, captain of the baseball team, like I said, 
and uh, I was getting ready to go play baseball in college and my pediatrician retired and I was getting my physicals to get ready for school and the, the new pediatrician, my new primary care physician at the time, uh, was looking at my chart and said, you know what? This looks like something I read about in medical school. Can I send you in to get tested uh, for cystic fibrosis? And uh, I mean, I was like, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm 18 years old. Doesn't really matter too much. So uh, I go into the hospital and they hook me up to uh, uh, to get a sweat test, which is essentially they put like this coil on your arm and make you run on like a treadmill for 30 minutes um, and they collect your sweat. Uh, well, that sweat test revealed that I was, in fact, positive for cystic fibrosis. Um, and to me, a, a, an 18 year old in high school, uh, I didn't know what it was. I had never heard of it. Um, but cystic fibrosis is it's a debilitating chronic lung disease that you're born with. Uh, 70,000 people in the world have it. Um, and ultimately, the, the course of the disease, what happens is, you know, once you're diagnosed, you start you start treatment and your lung function essentially declines over time until you eventually die from it. Um, so, you know, as it was explained to me, I, I, I was in shock, right? I'm an 18 year old high school senior, uh, my whole life ahead of me. Uh, you know, I'm on top of the world. I'm young and naive. I, 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 thought I, could, I thought I could just take on the world, right? And here I am being told that, uh, that I have this, this chronic disease that I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to work on my whole life. Um, and I think, you know, it was eye-opening for sure. Uh, it, it really opened, it, it allowed me to kind of move into adulthood pretty quickly, taking a lot of responsibility. Um, and one of the big things that I took away from the conversation that I had uh, with the doctor when, when, you know, he initially told me was, uh, you know, I said, well, what does this mean for my future? And he said, well, you know, the average lifespan of someone with cystic fibrosis is, is 30 to 35 years. So you should at least live to be in your 30s. <laughs> and, uh, and that was, you know, I was like, oh, okay. So I said, well, live in my 30s, you know, what, what about having a family and kids? And uh, one of the big things he said, at this point, I was, I was in pretty good, you know, mental shape. And, and when he said, you know, 99% of people with cystic fibrosis uh, have this thing called absence of the vest deferens. You're never going to be able to have your own kids. And, uh, and it was at that moment, honestly, I was on the phone sitting in my kitchen with my mom and, um, and, and that's really where I broke down. I said, man, it, it just kind of hit home. Like, you know, one of my goals here was to, was to have this amazing family and, uh, and, and it doesn't sound like I'm going to have that opportunity. So, you know, it, it, it helped me grow up real quick. Uh, and, and I remember walking away from that conversation saying, you know what, forget that. I'm going to, I'm going to build a future for myself, you know, um, in spite of what's stacked against me. And uh, that leads into my next question. I wanted to ask you about uh, your thoughts on, on the power of perseverance, because I know that for you, you turn to fitness to sort of, uh, sort of reclaim control of your own destiny. So I'm wondering about your thoughts on the power of perseverance and how you use fitness to sort of uh, discover your uh, identity. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, in a way, I think perseverance is kind of like a muscle, right? I think it's something that has to be worked out uh, and has to be worked on. Um, I don't think that we're born with the ability to persevere, right? So I truly believe, um, and it's something that's grown over time. You know, I, I wasn't, when I was diagnosed, I, I definitely had setbacks. Um, but I truly believe that you have to put yourself in a situation every single day um, that, that works that muscle of perseverance. So, you know, I learned pretty quickly that I wasn't the best athlete. I just wasn't. Uh, I joke, you know, I, I played baseball in college. I joked that I wasn't a real athlete. I was just a pitcher. <laughs> I could just throw a ball hard, <laughs> you know? So I, I had to work harder to be successful because I wasn't a real athlete. Um, and, and like any, anyone that's trying to overcome anything, I think the more that you put yourself in a situation to overcome even little things in life, um, that muscle grows and grows and grows so that when really big adversity strikes, you're ready to overcome that. And, uh, and like I said, you know, I grew up playing sports. It's a great training ground, uh, for perseverance, especially for, you know, a, a young, strangly, you know, skinny kid like myself trying to, you know, play basketball with some, some big brunts. Um, it was a big part of my life. So when I, when I really turned to kind of overcoming, uh, this decline in lung function, I understood that the only thing that was going to allow me to do it uh, was daily discipline and doing things that I knew were going to be important, right? And, and that meant, you know, making sure I was doing medication, uh, making sure I was doing lung therapy. Um, and the thing that I found that helped me more than anything was working out. So I always, um, you know, I'm not a gym rat. I'm not, I, I don't go for hours at a time, but I do make sure that every day I do something physical. Uh, and that may be um, working out in the gym. You know, I, I, I did five years of CrossFit. Um, I've worked out in LA Fitness and Gold's Gym. And uh, I've always felt like moving your body uh, allowed you to kind of be the best that you could be. And for me, it, it really made me feel the best. Uh, you know, as your lungs decline, um, strenuous activity and strenuous workout really kind of is the best therapy almost more so than than the therapy that's prescribed by a doctor in my opinion uh, so it was great for the body uh, great for the mind and um, and I knew that I had to work harder than most people to achieve the same level of success so it was just always something that was kind of uh, a part of me and uh, and and I think I've learned a lot from it as well as taking a lot of the health benefits. And I know that you also turned to training from marathons to find sort of your inner purpose. So I'm wondering if you can expand on that for me. Yeah, so uh, this was a great, you know, 2020 was crazy um, for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. No kidding. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm sure everyone can, can reflect on 2020 uh, with some sort of story, right? Um, for me, uh, 2020 was a really profound year. Um, so like I said, I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis in high school. Um, my lung function at the time when I was diagnosed was 70%. Okay. So if you're kind of thinking of that in perspective, 70%, um, the average person is 100, right? 
So I was already at a disadvantage. Uh, well, that was 19 years ago. And over the course of the past 19 years, um, I continued to watch my, my lung function decline from 70% down to 40%. Um, and, and at my worst, down in the mid-30s. Uh, and what that means is that when you go into a cystic fibrosis doctor and you have uh, lung function in the 30s and 40s, that's when they start talking to you about putting your name on the, on the lung transplant um, sheet. So we started having conversations of, you know, when we might consider that. Um, and, and, you know, it's almost impossible to reverse any damage in your lungs uh, with cystic fibrosis. Well, 2020 was a great year. There was a new medication that was released um, in 2020, and it's called Trikafta by this pharmacy called Vertex. And it's been in the making for a long time. And what it does is it actually addresses the underlying issue in cystic fibrosis. And it gave me this opportunity. I was able to go on it in March, and I was given this opportunity to take a medication that actually reversed lung damage. So within a couple of weeks of going on this new medication, my lung function jumped from 40% up to almost 70%. And within two weeks, I understood that this was an opportunity I was never going to have again in my life. I would never double uh, my lung function and, and be given this, this great chance to do something uh, uh, physically demanding that I never, I never thought I would be able to do. I've always looked up to people who ran marathons and, and triathlons. I've got a bunch of friends that are, you know, big into the endurance sports. And I always looked at it as, as this thing that super athletes, uh, did, you know, not, not normal people. So it was a goal of mine to, to do something physically challenging, um, a, to, to try to raise money for the cystic fibrosis foundation. Um, which so generously donated time, resources um, to, to creating this, this new medication, um, but also to show people that, that a normal person uh, can accomplish amazing things. So I decided within two weeks of starting this medication that I was going to sign up for an ultra marathon, um, a 50 kilometer foot race. And, uh, and, you know, don't ask me why I decided to do an ultra. I, I, I don't know, you know, apparently 26 miles wasn't long enough. I had to try to do 31. Um, but it was in a special place to me, Canandaigua uh, uh, Lake. And um, I really was looking forward to it. So within two weeks, I signed up for this ultra marathon. And then over the course of the next eight months uh, in 2020, which look, the quarantine lended itself perfectly to it. Uh, I had a lot of free time um, working from home. Uh, I ran a thousand miles in eight months um, and ended up in, in October of this year. I finished the 50 kilometer ultra marathon in six hours and 36 minutes. Um, and I raised, I think we raised $5,000 uh, for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation uh, through running it. And, um, and it, was, it was a great experience. It was, it was super emotional um, to be able to finish that. You know, my, my wife and kids were waiting for me at the finish line and, uh, I had, I had friends and family come and hold up signs and it was, it was a great experience. Uh, and ironically, you know, even to, even to speak to your adversity, um, because of COVID, the race was actually canceled. Uh, it was supposed to be a sanctioned race and I ended up just, just running it on my own, even though it was canceled. So it was a, it was a really cool experience. Well, talk about determination and perseverance. Uh, want to, I wish you, I want to, uh, commend you on, on showing your uh, 
a way through adversity and being being an example for the rest of us uh, to follow. It's a really inspirational story. And I wanted to also ask you, Ryan, as you know, I do a lot of work with uh, people with disabilities and making sure that they're fully included in societal life. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on the the impact of inclusion and acceptance of all people when it comes to not only people with disabilities, but how do you think we can have a, have a more diverse uh, conversation about, about inc inclusion in general? Um, this, is, this is something that's uh, pretty close to, to my heart as well. I actually, um, when I was in college, I was studying to be uh, a teacher. And I, I have my degree in, in elementary and special education. Uh, and I was a special education teacher for three years when I graduated um, with, a, with a focus on autism. And, um, and one of the most important things that I think I experienced um, was my first, my first year as a teacher, I, I ended up um, teaching a pullout room, right? So we took kids from second, third, fourth grade, pulled them out of the classroom. Um, and brought them into their own special education room, right? And I, I would teach them reading and things of that nature. Uh, well, the next two years, I, I was an inclusion teacher. Uh, so I was, I was a teacher in a uh, general classroom, fifth grade, and the special education students were in that classroom. Um, I think that was a profound experience for me because it allowed me to help all the students um, embrace each other kind of as a family. And, um, and kids, are, kids are really phenomenal in this regard because they're not jaded by society. And it's a really great example to see how a classroom of fifth graders uh, doesn't see diversity the same way as maybe a group of 30 adults does. Um, and I think if we look at children as an example sometimes and how to you know kind of have that perspective i think it's it's really great um you know so with that said inclusion is great i think exposure is really what brings that about and i think we similar to putting yourself in difficult situations to practice difficult things i think we really need to go out of our way to create inclusion in our own lives I think we need to seek out people with different opinions. I think we need to seek out um, people with different backgrounds. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times you hear, well, you know, at the dinner table, don't talk about, you know, uh, religion or politics, right? It just, it creates issues. Um, and I disagree. I, I don't think we need to ignore difficult issues that we have differences in. I think we need to embrace them. I think we need to work more on, um, having a conversation in an appropriate way so that we can share our difference of opinion without being judgmental and without being um, attacking uh, of others. Absolutely. And I also wanted to get your, your uh, 
perspective on having perspective because I know uh, that you spent some time down there in Atlanta running a successful business, but you decided to come home because you wanted to be closer to family and uh, you had a personal uh, family situation that drew you back home. So I'm curious to know your uh, uh, recount of that experience and your thoughts on the importance of having the proper perspective. Yeah, I think perspective's everything. Um, so, you know, like you said, so I grew up, right, with a great family life. One of my dreams was to, was to give my children um, the childhood that I had. Uh, well, when I graduated college, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. I had an amazing experience there. Um, I made amazing friends. I, I had a phenomenal career. Um, and then over time, uh, while I was happy, I, I, I felt like I wasn't fulfilled as much. I, I knew that there was something missing. You know, we were taking all of our, all of our family vacations um, to Rochester, New York, right? So most times people take their vacation, you know, to an island or, or you know, snow skiing, whatever it is. You know, I was taking my family vacations from a great place to what I considered home. Um, and I was sitting with my wife uh, at the time, probably about six, seven years ago, and we were sitting with my parents and, uh, and we said, man, why don't we just live here and vacation somewhere else? We're, we're spending the entire year looking forward to our vacation, going home to see family. Why not live with family and, uh, and vacation where we want to, some tropical place? Um, so we said, okay, well, are we going to have the same opportunity uh, financially um, or, or just success-wise in a career in Rochester, New York, as we would in Atlanta, Georgia, a thriving metropolitan city? Uh, and the answer was no. Um, we said, okay, well, we really need to look at our priorities here. Uh, and, and our biggest priority is family. And, um, and we love our family over all else. And we said, our parents aren't getting any younger. Um, uh, we, we had two kids, right? So we went through uh, in vitro fertilization and we were able, we were fortunate to have two boys and you know, they were, they were getting older and they missed seeing their grandparents and they missed seeing their aunts and uncles. And uh, we said, the most important thing in life uh, is family. So what we need to do is we need to figure out a way uh, to, to prioritize that in the best way that, the best way that we decided to do that was to move closer to home uh, to allow us to do so. So that was really important to us. Um, so we, we made that decision. Uh, we were able to find, I was able to find a job um, and I was able to transfer home um, in, a, in an amazing, not an amazing, an ironic uh, turn of events. Um, within six months of moving home, uh, my dad, who, who was my best friend, um, he, uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, and, and uh, within six months of being diagnosed, he ended up uh, dying of a brain tumor. So, you know, we, we, had, we had made this uh, decision to move home, um, to be in, in New York and be close to family so that we could spend our life with family. And uh, we ended up, you know, my dad's life was cut, was cut short. Um, and I think it's important to understand that had I not made the decision to prioritize family, and, and chose to stay in Atlanta, um, I wouldn't have got to spend, you know, the last year of his life with him. 
Uh, you know, I, I might've got a vacation or two, but um, I was able to sit in the hospital for two months at the end of his life and hold his hand and talk to him. Uh, and I wasn't going to have that opportunity had I not prioritized it. So, you know, while we made the decision to be to be close to home, to be close to family, uh, in the end, I ended up getting a gift um, that I never I never imagined being able to get. Uh, and I, I don't know what I would have done myself if if I wasn't near family and able to be a part of my dad's last six months. Uh, thank you very much for sharing what I know is an emotional uh, part of your life and being vulnerable because I, I, I know that probably wasn't an easy story to share, so I appreciate that. Um, so my next question has to do with uh, vulnerability, of course, because I think more than ever this year, I've embraced the whole concept of being vulnerable and being open with emotions and all of that, all of the different machinations that go along with that. So I'm curious to ask you your perspective when it comes to being vulnerable and the power of vulnerability. And I'm wondering if you can recount for me going through the IVF process with your wife and the message you would have for people going through that same experience. Yeah, you know, I, th I think that um, vulnerability is important. I, I think you nailed it. Um, I, was it uh, uh, Jimmy V, right? You, you see the ESPN Jimmy V speech every year. Um, and, and one of the things that always sticks out is, I think he says, it's been a great day if every day uh, you, you laugh, you love, and your emotions move you to tears, right? That's, that's, everything you can imagine in one day. And I think that's a really, that's a really powerful uh, perspective to have that, that, uh, that I can appreciate that, that he spoke about. Um, IVF is, man, that's a beast. Um, you know, so I obviously knew uh, when I was diagnosed that I was gonna have to, if I was going to have kids, it was either gonna be through adoption or IVF. Um, and I always, so I was open to it. I had. I had 10 plus years of, of preparing and, and thinking about that. Well, obviously my wife, um, who, would, who had been with me for a while, uh, she didn't have the entire childhood that I had. She didn't have, you know, the years from 18 to 25 to, to really think about the fact that biological children wasn't a possibility. So, you know, while she knew when she married me, I don't think she quite understood um, the implication of what that would mean. Uh, but luckily, um, she's an amazing person and, and one of her superpowers is, is research. And uh, she's phenomenal. And, and, you know, we took a lot of time looking into options to have kids. Like I said, family was, was of the utmost, utmost importance to us. And, um, and, and one of our goals was to, was to have a beautiful family. So, um, we did a lot of research. We talked to a lot of people, um, talked to insurance companies. Ultimately, uh, for us, unfortunately, IVF was not covered by, by insurance. So we had to be really smart about it. Uh, we had to look into different grants, um, different loans. Um, and we ended up finding uh, a really good clinic and a really good program in Atlanta. Um, and you know, it took us it took us three tries uh, to have our first child. So you know, strike one, strike two, 
we were we were nervous about the third, and uh, and it ended up working. We get we got pregnant with our first child uh, on our third round of IVF. Um, very successful pregnancy, amazing kid, uh, and then and then decided to have try to have a second child, um, and we ended up going through two more uh, bouts with IVF and and had our second child. So I think the main thing with with IVF is you know it's a long experience and and. There's a lot of hormones that are involved. Uh, you know, my wife had to shoot herself up with hormone shots, injections, uh, monthly um, and, and daily, and it can really play with your emotions. Um, so, you know, there's definitely a stigma around IVF, and, and people want to be supportive and they want to talk. And you know, if you know anyone that's going through IVF, sometimes the best thing is is just to say, "Hey, I'm here for you." Um, you know, you want to talk about it, okay? If not, just know I'm thinking about you. You know, if you need a hug, I'm I'm here. If you need a drink, I'm here. Um, but you never know kind of where someone is in that stage, uh, how many times they may have failed. But there's a lot of pressure in it. It's a lot of money, um, and and the hormones compound all of it. Um, so at times, you know, when it fails, it can feel like the end of the world. Um, and it can really it can really create some depressing emotions. Um, so what I would say to someone that's going through IVF is be patient um, and, and don't go in with realistic expectations because the majority of people don't get pregnant on the first time. Um, so go into it thinking you might have to do three, four or five times. And if you get pregnant right away, then great. If it takes you three, then great. You know, and if it takes you five, well, hopefully you have the uh, the tenacity to keep going um, because it is worth it. And and the amount of money I spent on on IVF, I I would trade it tenfold um, for for the kids that I have. It, it's absolutely you know the greatest thing in my life. I'm I'm sure it is, and I'm I'm curious to know uh, since the process of having kids was such a interesting experience for you. What's the biggest lesson that you think you've learned from your kids? Oh, man. Uh, well, I think a big lesson is no two kids are the same. <laughs> um, geez. <laughs> I'm an identical uh, twin, so I can relate to that. I can believe it. I can believe it. And you're probably more similar <laughs> to, to your twin than, uh, than two other siblings even. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, everyone's an individual, right? And I think it's, um, you know, you want to play into your kids' strengths uh, and then challenge their weaknesses. Um, you know, like I said about, about the classroom that I taught, kids are amazing. They, they have, they come into this world with, with, they're not jaded. There's no bias, right? It's all love. Um, and I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that I've taken away from not just my kids, but, but seeing all children um, is that it's kind of like you get out what you put in. Um, the more love you put into your kids, uh, the more loving and respectful they're going to be. Um, and if you infuse hate into their lives uh, and, and rigidness and, and anxiety, then you're going to they're going to reflect that back on you and back on the world. Um, and I think it's important to know that, you know, they're little sponges and, and they're going to they're gonna they're gonna take what you give them. Um, so you have to you have to really you know treat them the way that 
they deserve to be treated. You know, they're innocent. They're innocent. Um, but the lesson that I take away from that is, you know, try to treat everybody that way, right? Absolutely. And I'm curious to know, Ryan, after speaking with you for a little bit, I'm curious to know what in life are you most grateful for? And what, what would be your message to people about living life to the fullest? Yeah. You know, I'm a very grateful person. Um, I'm optimistic. I, I honestly try to see the best in life. Um, I'm grateful for a lot. I'm, I'm grateful for my wife. Uh, she's my best friend. She's my partner. Uh, she pushes me to, to, to be the best that I can be, um, which I think is important in a partner. I'm grateful for my kids. I never thought I'd have them. Uh, they're, they're my little bundles of joy that I love every day. I'm grateful for my brother and my parents and my family and friends. I think the most thing I'm, I'm, I'm grateful most uh, for being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Uh, it's, it's changed my life. Um, and I say that uh, because cystic fibrosis, being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, gave me perspective that I never would have received otherwise. When you're told at 18 years old that you have 15, 20 years potentially left, left to live, um, it forces you to try to live an entire life in those 15 years. Um, and I've done that. Uh, I've, I've tried to squeeze 100 years of life uh, into 15. And being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis gave me uh, the perspective to do that. So, you know, I'm really grateful for that. Now, look, I've surpassed 35, you know, I'm playing with house money. Uh, I'm not supposed to be here right now, you know, so essentially I'm just running up the score, right? So that's all that I have, you know, in terms of, in terms of gratitude, uh, I'm grateful for every single day because right now, every single day uh, is over and above what I was supposed to have. Um, and I think that's important for everyone to know is that, look, well, well, I was diagnosed with, with something, you know, it was a blessing for me because it labeled adversity that I was having in my life. And it, it truly gave me something to fight against and something to fight for. Um, and no one knows when their last day will be. This year exemplified that more than anything else. I mean, you know, you, you see, I've heard terrible stories about young people that contracted COVID and, and died. You know, no one knew we were going to have a pandemic. No one knew that a 35 year old was going to be able to die of COVID this year. They weren't prepared for it. So I think it's important for everyone to take a step back and just say, you know, when is my last day going to be? Is it, is it going to be 80? Is it going to be 60? Is it going to be 40? You don't know. So try to cram an entire life full of experiences and love and laughter into every single day that you have because you truly don't know you know when it is going to be your last hey ryan and i'm gonna uh, combine my last two questions because i think they're interconnected uh so what do you uh want your legacy to be once your life has reached its ultimate conclusion and then uh, and just finally if people want to be connected with you how can they do that buddy yeah so, you know, legacy is an interesting question. Um, 
honestly, I, I don't really care uh, what people uh, remember me as in terms of uh, the public. Um, I just want the people that, that I know, my friends and family, to know that I love them, that I'm here for them, um, and, and that I just want people to see that you, know, you can live a full life, you can laugh, you can be successful uh, without any of the externalities that, that make a lot of people feel like they're successful. Um, you know, I think uh, every life should be judged on, on how loving they are, how happy they are, and the impact they've made on others. And, and my goal is ultimately to help others see that there's a reason for living um, and just to create more love and compassion in the world. Um, and then look, you know, if people want to get a hold of me, um, I, I have a website. It's uh, ryanshuckle.com. Uh, I'm on all the social media, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I am uh, coming out with a podcast and writing a book. Um, not out yet, but love to have people follow along. I guess ryanshuckle.com is probably the, the best way to figure out what I'm doing. Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a personal brand for sure. Hey, Ryan, I want to really thank you for spending about a half an hour with me for a revealing and a consequential conversation. I'm grateful for your, your time and for being here this afternoon. It's most appreciated. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Kevin, thank you. And I love what you're doing and, and you know, keep it up. Your podcast is great. You're doing, you're doing great things. And the perspective you bring to people, I think, is, is phenomenal.